Welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, our Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Eleni. Actually, isn't your name Alani? It's uh, Leno, Alani, Elena. It's all kinds <laughs> of different things. Ellen. <laughs> yeah, Ellen. That one is self-appointed. But every day I get something new. <laughs> and I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be discussing episode 415, Scene in a Mall. Yes, indeed, um, a scene in a mall. The biggest scene in the mall, I would say. Uh, Before we do that, we want to give a quick update on the Free Britney movement, because that is, we've talked about Britney before, um, and it's definitely ramping up, and I feel like more and more people are now paying attention. Yes. So we would like to um, offer our two cents, not that you asked, but we're going to do it anyways. I mean... At this point, I feel like you're going to get it whether or not you ask or not. So. Also, I feel like if you've stuck around with the podcast through four seasons, you know that we talk about literally anything. Yeah, and if you don't like it, you know where the fast forward button is. Exactly. Skip ahead. Leave me alone. Ciao. <laughs> um, so actually, I wanted to share two different things about the, uh, the current status of the Free Britney campaign. So for those who don't know uh, the reason why it started coming back into the news again last week was because um, Brittany gave a testimony to a judge. I'm not sure of the like it's the specific parameters of it. I think it was it was done over the phone, I believe, and it was recorded for press purposes and then it's what got leaked to YouTube and other places. And there was also a bunch of clips on Twitter and Instagram with her testimony. So um, I tweeted out a YouTube link to the full 23 minutes of her testimony, which is worth the listen. It's um, quite eye-opening. Not surprising, but it, honestly, it's not surprising to me as a, you know, a, like I said, a, life, a lifelong Britney fan who has been paying attention to the fact that she's been in a conservatorship since 2008. I feel like most... Uh, Maybe not most. I don't know how to phrase, but like the media wasn't really aware of the the depth and the and the extent of her conservatorship, I guess. So if you were just a casual fan, you probably didn't know. But, you know, the gays always have had a bit of a firm grasp on where she's at. So we knew. <laughs> um, so she gave a testimony to a judge basically pleading for someone to help her. But um, to me, what struck me the most about the testimony was just how clear-headed she was and how, like, she spoke really fast and she kind of stumbled a lot, but, like, I think it was because she had rehearsed this so many times and had written it down, stuff she wanted to say. And, like, honestly, if that were if that were me, I would be much more, I would not have been as clear-headed as she was. So it's just, it was really interesting to hear her talk that way because I find for her entire career, we've just, we've just gotten, like, a, a diluted version of her that, you know, whatever management team or whatever, you know, parent forces the other forces that be have wanted her to be presented as whereas now you know she's almost 40 years old she'll be 40 this year actually so it's just it's crazy that we haven't had access to her unfiltered self in so long um anyway long story short she basically just said a bunch of appalling things of how people who she pay people who like people that she pays are bossing her around and controlling her and just forcing her to do some really unspeakable things and she's only actually talked about the last two years of the conservatorship so I didn't want to know what happened for the first 11 years of the conservatorship but that's a different story and I'm sure and I'm sure one day 
we'll get uh, some more insights on that. But I did want to share um, what Christina Aguilera wrote about um, the Britney situation on in a Twitter thread. And um, a lot of news outlets were covering what she, what Christina Aguilera said, mostly because I think it's interesting, not interesting, but it's 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 important that she, someone like Christina Aguilera did say did say something and speak out against it, seeing as how it's you know been noted that the, both of them have had beef in the past. I don't think in the last decade they've had much beef, to my knowledge. I know when they were younger in the 2000s, there was a, a lot of uh, them being pitted against each other, but not so much now as as grown-ups, I don't think, but anyway. So she wrote, these past few days, I've been thinking about Britney and everything she's going through. It's unacceptable that any woman or human wanting to be in control of of their own destiny might not be allowed to live life as they wish. To be silenced, ignored, bullied, or denied support by those close to you is the most depleting, devastating, and demeaning thing imaginable. That's also important to note. Brittany said at least a dozen times in the 23 minutes that my family has done nothing to help me. So if you see Jamie Lynn Spears on social media trying to whine about it and say that people are demonizing her, don't listen. She's lying. Anyway, that's my that's my opinion. Um, If I could just offer my opinion, she's also an awful actress. Awful actress, awful singer, just (laughs) no thanks. Overall awful human being. (laughs) Um, so continuing, she says, the harmful and mental emotional damage this can take on a human spirit is nothing to be taken lightly. Every woman must have the right to her own body, her own reproductive system, her own privacy, her own space, her own healing and her own happiness. While I am not behind the closed doors of this very layered and personal yet public conversation, all I can do is share from my heart on what I've heard, read and seen in the media. To the, the conviction and desperation of this plea for freedom leads me to believe that this person I once knew has been living without compassion or decency from those in control. To a woman who has worked under condition and pressure unimaginable to most, I promise you she deserves all the freedom possible to live her happiest life. My heart goes out to Brittany. She deserves all the true love and support in the world. Uh, I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, I also did wanted to share a different thread um, that Eleni shared to our Instagram story a few days ago regarding just, I think it was speaking out against maybe shock and outrage that people can be treated this way, especially like someone, you know, rich and famous and able-bodied like Britney Spears, who was, cle- who was clearly taken advantage of when she was in, it was, when she was in a weak spot with her, uh, her mental health. Yeah. Um, I so this- it was more, for me, it was more in response to like people when that 23 minute testimony came out, it was a lot of people coming out and saying like, how is this possible that we can do this to somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, like you could just one day say like this person is unsafe and I'm taking, over. you know what I mean? So yeah. part of it was people not comprehending that this happens every day. Yeah. Um, like a conservatorship, I really encourage you to look up um, you know, ramifications of what that means and how, especially in the U.S., the laws are pretty lax. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, in this case, it's Britney's family, but you can be a conservator um, over someone you've never met before. Yeah. So um, it was just trying to, like, maybe put it into context for people who don't understand the full ramifications of it. Yeah, and that's actually important to note about a conservator can be someone you don't know, because in the last two years, for some reason, the public does not know yet um, 
Britney's conservator was switched from one person to another, and the new person was someone she didn't know who yeah. has since who has since forced her to do just terrible things that no that no like no able bodied, no disabled bodied, no no human being ever. Yeah, no person. No person ever should be subjected to. So anyway, this is a, th- a Twitter thread by Liz Plank, who is actually the author of a book we've recommended several times called For the, For the Love of Men. If you uh, haven't read that yet, please do. Um, so she wrote, want to free Britney? Welcome to the di- welcome to the disability rights revolution. So glad you're here. Think it's wild that Britney couldn't remove her IUD? It's currently completely legal for women with disabilities to be sterilized. Can't believe Britney could lose access to her own kids? Mothers mothers with disabilities have removal rates that can be as high as 80%. 13% of parents with with physical disabilities report experiencing discrimination in custody cases because of it. Can't believe Britney couldn't couldn't see her boyfriend? It's extremely common for the families of people with disabilities to control their relationships, and and many people with disabilities can't even marry by fear of losing benefits or health care. It's it's even legal to electroshock children if they have disabilities. Yes, free Britney, but also let's free everybody else and follow the lead of the of the disability rights movement, who has been completely shouting about all these legal these completely legal inju- injustices forever. So, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's completely horrifying. Like, and it's it's just it's another just another instance of. And of you know a perfect opportunity for people like you and me and everybody everybody else to educate yourselves on you know silent horrors and atrocities that happen every day to both the famous and the not famous. Yeah, and um, just if you want a more comp like if you don't know where to start, um when you're looking at, you know, like, what is a conservatorship? What are the limits? What can you do? If you, if you're, you're really looking for like your baseline of information, I would mm-hmm. suggest, um, watching, uh, a John Oliver episode, the last week tonight episode, he did such a good job on, you know, just explaining what it was all about and just how ridiculous, um, some of these laws are and how the system itself, was of course born out of a need to protect people but have become so absolutely ridiculous and convoluted that basically anyone can walk up to somebody and be like unfit i'm taking their money you know what i mean like it's just and he really just like exposes a bunch of people that have completely taken advantage um and people finding out in the most ridiculous ways, like getting a phone call and saying, you know, like, I am now your guardian. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, it's just, it's, yeah. I mean. Well, I haven't, oh, I haven't seen that episode, so I'm going to have to look for it. It's it's really, really well done. And, like, listen, uh, I, of course, feel for Britney Spears. Um, nobody should be, like, dealing with this. Absolutely. I think there's an added layer of uh trauma because these people like work her to the bone as well yeah uh in order to get you know financial gain but you know this happens every day in the states and i've looked at the laws in canada they're they're not as loosey-goosey as the ones in the states but they're still pretty you know out there so yeah um and like listen i'm glad that we're finally paying attention because it's somebody like britney spears that's in the public eye 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is happening to especially older people. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like, just because, like, we love, like, obviously we love and support Britney Spears and we want her to be able to achieve the happiness and freedom she deserves. But at the same time, she's a, uh, a young white woman with long, yeah. like a young blonde white woman. You know, what about all, what about 80 year olds, 90 year olds who are in this situation? Like they deserve happiness and freedom too. Absolutely. And I think that was also the point of posting that thread is like, there are everyday people like you and me who are going through a lot of similar things. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, we're grateful for this opportunity, um, for this this situation exposing the evils out there. Yeah. But like, just know that it's happening everywhere. And if it's appalling to you that it's happening to Britney Spears, it should be appalling to you that it's happening to everyone. Exactly. And that's what we'll say on that. Yes, that's that on that. Exactly. So, shall we get to the episode... Um, of Gilmore Girls, which our podcast is about. Yes, let's dive in. So I call this episode the window shopping episode. Okay. And I want to talk to you about window shopping for a minute. I want to talk to you about Ross wrestling Ava Gardner and if, and if that's <laughs> a thing with window shopping. <laughs> yeah, well, first let's talk about window shopping in general. Like, you know that scene in this episode where they're like, why did we think this would be fun? Yeah. I'm like, fucking exactly. Why did you think this would be fun? Window shopping is like a a fun idea in theory, I think. Never in my life has that been a fun idea in theory. Oh, okay. I was thinking like, I'm thinking, I guess I'm thinking like window shopping while also shopping. Like, I, oh, window, window browsing, but also I'm buying things. <laughs> well, listen, you know, sometimes I'll go to the mall. Oh my God, when was the last time I went to a mall? Ugh. Okay, sometimes <laughs> in a past life when I used yeah. to go to a mall, it was always for a purpose, you know what I mean? Like, I need a new bra, I need new underwear, you know, like, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, let me pop into this store to see what there is. That's called browsing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I've never just been like, today, I'm going to go to the mall, and I'm going to discover all the things I cannot afford. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I think it's almost like a privileged position to be able to say that. Because it's like, <laughs> most maybe like window shopping is a bit more of a, of a relatable situation for those who really can't afford to sh- go shopping ever. So it's like, no, no, that's not the case, though, in this episode, right? Obviously, obviously not. Like, I'm sure they I'm sure that Rory and Lorelai have money to spare a little whatever i'm just like window today i haven't seen my daughter in two weeks so we're gonna go window shopping <laughs> what the fuck have a movie night at home like what are you talking about it's true it's a very it's a very gilmore thing to do anyways window shopping fucking trash okay let's be honest yes it is so there's a lot going on in this episode uh yes there is um not only with Rory and Lorelai, but I would say that the bigger focus of the episode is on Emily Gilmore. Yeah, and I think it's been we it's been brewing as we've discussed multiple times in the last few weeks. Yeah, so I would say that where where so we left off last week was saying that there were not last week, maybe two weeks ago 
saying that there were like some subtle things here and there. They're not making as much eye contact. They're not talking to each other as much. And we were saying kind of that it was like the beginnings of the end of their relationship. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think in this episode, mm-hmm. obviously it was more uh, overt. <laughs> but I think also, even though up until this point, even though you know they're arguing or maybe they're not getting along as much, mm-hmm. you're like, ah, okay, whatever. It's Emily and Richard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then this episode, um, even before the big blow, the scene in a mall. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Rory says something to Lorelai at the end where she's like, I'm worried about grandma. Mm-hmm. And Lorelai's like, oh, don't worry. She'll be fine. You know, she's tough, whatever. She goes, are they going to be okay, though? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first time as a fan, if you're watching it for the first time, you start to realize, like, holy shit, maybe the writers are not just, like, causing tension to cause tension. Maybe there's actually something going on here. Yeah, I mean, jumping right to, to the very end, if we're going to be jumping. Um, to me, I remember watching for the first time, the final scene of, the, of this episode was uh, very very clear to me that they were they were going there like they were going into marital distress with Richard and that didn't surprise me like later on what happens next no like later on nobody is surprised apparently Lorelai is surprised but whatever um but this is the first episode where it's it's actually said out loud yeah like by Rory where she's like are they gonna be okay and then you start thinking like no they're fucking not because she just had a complete and utter meltdown in the middle of the store because her husband has a mustache you know what I mean like and like I don't know if maybe this is just me and you're not gonna relate as much but like the meltdown she has obviously I don't have that much money at my disposal but like relatable but like relatable like I understand like maybe it's just like a sassy aspirational drama queen kind of thing i don't know but like what's relatable the fact that she went into a store and was like wrap it up no i think it's just like she went shopping and had a meltdown like that's me like especially if i'm like if i go shopping and i'm starving i'm gonna lose i'm gonna lose patience and i'm not gonna make probably make a scene i don't know maybe my parents have anecdotes of me causing scenes in in a mall i don't think i don't think so i don't recall hearing stories of that but i don't know if you I don't know if you know, I think I've told you, and you've probably seen, like, I, when I get hungry and starving, I need to eat, and I haven't eaten, like, okay. I'm a different, I'm a different person. Did I, I ever tell you about, <laughs> like, it's, my parents used to call it Feed the Beast. Like, it was a very, there was a very sharp divide between Fed Jeffrey and Hungry Jeffrey. Yeah, no, I can, um, I know that about you. <laughs> Like, do you remember when you came to visit me in New Brunswick and we called your mom to let her know that you got there okay on the train? Yeah. And I was like, are you going to feed him? Because he's going to be awful if you don't feed him. Oops, drop something. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I remember. like, yes, Deborah, I will feed him immediately. <laughs> Honestly, but I remember, it's funny It's funny that we said that because I think my mom was like subtly telling you like it's, I mean, he's not, it's not pretty if I don't eat. But the thing is, um... I remember when I did come to visit you that time, I remember saying to myself, like, okay, I have to always be eating because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I was, I felt bad. So I'm like, okay, I'm coming to her house. I don't want, like, I'm the guest in her house. I don't want to, you know, reach a point where I'm starving and I'm going to snap and, and kill her. 
Well, then, listen, also, you never have to be, like, no matter what we're doing in life, <laughs> if you stopped me and said, like, let's eat, I would drop everything. It's true. So, don't worry about that. I thought you were talking about, like, you can relate to the fact that, like, she walked into a store and was like, I need to buy everything. Because, that, too. Yeah, when I have a breakdown, when I'm really upset, my go-to used to be, like, I'll go to a bookstore and just buy way too many books. Okay, yeah, though that too. Like, I mean, I think both, I think it's layered in how I relate to it. So there's one, <laughs> there's there's the aspect of I could be starving and I'm just very short-tempered with everybody around me. Mostly yeah. it's limited, most of that's limited to my parents, though, I have to say. Like, I'm not, like, everyone, always, my parents always say that the way I'm short-tempered with them is very different from how I'm short-tempered with other people. Mm-hmm. Just picture, like, just picture, like, Paris overtired. That's pretty much me when I'm hungry. Um but no, for sure, I would also agree that when I'm having a meltdown, I will have to go to a store and, you know, just either be like just browse the store for a minute or I have to go to a place and I have to buy something, which actually happened um, last week when I worked a, when I worked a day shift at the store where I work. And it was absolutely terrible because all of the customers were just incredibly rude that day. I don't know why, but it was just very overwhelming and there is a new bookstore in the mall where I work um and before I had before I could go home I had to go to the bookstore I had to just take a minute and just be with the books and then I bought I, three I, and I went sometimes you just gotta <laughs> the book. yeah and then I bought three and I and I came home so That's okay. like, that. you and me we have to caress a book Emily Gilmore has to caress a designer pair of shoes exactly like I get it I get it <laughs> I get it. I was like, can relate, Emily. I get it. I've never screamed quite like that in the middle of a store, but we'll get to that. I mean, I've wanted to. Like, I've I've been like I've been in public sometimes. I don't know if it's past life or current life or whatever <laughs> life it was, but <laughs> I've been wanting to like just scream sometimes, you know. Yeah. Well, that I can also relate to. <laughs> um. Okay. So in the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Lorelai goes into the diner and um, Luke asks her how she's doing after her little breakdown, whatever. And um, she plugs in her laptop to the fax line. Yeah. What the fuck? Who has who still uses fax, by the way? Okay, it's very 2004. <laughs> 100%. Very much so. Um, I mean, I... I mean, I do know some people who still rely on fax machines, but not in this, not like not in the same way they did in the 90s. Like, I think it's just in case of, but even then, it's not, it's when not. When somebody popular. asks me to fax a form to them, <laughs> I'm like, where do you think I work that I have a fax machine? It's true. I'm actually, I'm actually only thinking of my mom when she's had to like, when she's had to like fax government papers to either her hospital crazy. or something. It's so fucking annoying to me that everything having to do with the government is still fax us at this line. I'm like, fax you. What? (laughs) Yeah, we have to go. We have to go to like Staples to fax something. (laughs) Oh, my God. What do you want me to do next? Page you? And notice exactly page. <laughs> and notice how I referred to it, the store as Staples because most of our listeners will know what Staples is. But yeah, but here, we'll know the alternative. Yes, but here in Quebec, we refer to we refer to Staples by its French name, which is uh, Bureau en Gros. Yeah. 
Well, that's uh, a very anglicized way of saying it. Go ahead, you say it. I'm an Anglo bitch. What do you want from me? <laughs> it's beautiful and cool. Yeah, which is, translates to uh, office in big. So. Well, no, Anglo means warehouse. True. Okay, Anglo here. I'm not even giving it that much thought. Oh my god. <laughs> But it's true though. We don't. We here in Quebec, even if you're anglophone, we we still just call it by the French name. But everywhere else in North America, it's Staples. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just a Quebec thing for you. Whatever. Anyway, back to the back back on topic. Yeah. Um. Also, we see Kirk. Um. In his new career. <laughs> I think it's one of my favorite Kirk episodes. I have to say. Kirk is great in this episode. Yes. I think they needed a little bit. Of, I think they needed to push the lightheartedness of the episode to counter the very intense scenes with the Elder Gilmores. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to say this episode is also one of the season's strongest, I think, in that regard. Oh my God. Honestly, it's been like hit after hit lately. Yes. It's why season four is the best. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so Kirk is now watching Lulu's dog and then... In like as the episode progresses, he has become a dog walker, and mm-hmm. he plays a game with the dogs where he unleashes one. By the way, only yeah. in a small town can you do that. Literally, even I'm thinking even in a real life small town, it's still dangerous. <laughs> well, it wasn't the small town that I used to live in, but anyways, but yeah, so he unleashes the dog, and then they he he and the rest of the dogs hide, and it's that unleashed dog's uh, mission to find them. It's cute, but only in Stars Hollow would that happen. It's adorable, and it's even more adorable when Snuggles finds them. And he's like, you found us! <laughs> I was like, you know what, Kirk? Do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Ugh, but anyways. Um, and then, just to finish off that storyline, at the end, Kirk is like, does anyone know who this is? That was honestly hilarious. Like, imagine being a... Only only to Kirk would this happen, by the way. But imagine being a dog walker and you have a dog left over. He's like, I have a dog left over and I don't know whose it is. And Luke's like, that's Snuggles. <laughs> and there's just and more like hearing Luke, burly Luke, say Snuggles. Yeah. But I'm just like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. It, and Lorelai can't get over the fact that Luke can identify Snuggles, even though it's not Snuggles. But It's not Snuggles. It's Snuggles' lookalike, because apparently there's two of those in Stars Hollow. But, um, yeah, Lorelai can't get over it. And then he's like, I've just been making sounds at this dog, <laughs> hoping that one of the random sounds I make is his name. Oh, my God. It kills me every Google-ga. single time. Googa. Like, what the fuck, Kirk? Only <laughs> Only Kirk. I love it. Only Kirk. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, what the fuck? No. How do you not laugh at that? Anyways, it was really, like, yes, absolutely. The writers put that in. Like, you know, sometimes there's a little bit more. We've talked about this before. Sometimes there's episodes that are re- very much filler episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just uh, an overload of lightheartedness. Yeah. In this case, it was way too much tension. Especially from a couple that has been, like, our constant throughout the series up until this point, right? I think it was, like, almost making up for any lack of tension in seasons one to three. It was, like, all the tension that's ever been in their marriage is coming out in this one episode. Yeah. 
I think, um, and you know, like a lot of people say that Richard and Emily were the best couple of Gilmore Girls. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, sure. Let's okay, and that. I think when people say that, they're really talking about um, the fact that they have like a solid base and that they, you know, they've been through a lot with each other. It's certainly the longest lasting. Um, they seem to communicate better than a lot of the other couples. Okay, but excuse me, the strongest couple on Gilmore Girls is me and Jess. Thank you. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Here I am I'm analyzing shit, and he's, like, living in La La Land. <laughs> I knew I had to do it. I'm like, she's gonna, <laughs> she's doing such deep analysis. I'm like, mm, my husband. <laughs> oh. By the way, yesterday night? Yes. I had a dream. Did you? I was contemplating whether or not I should say this dream. <laughs> Because, number one, I'm, like, gross. And number two, I'm, like, Jeffrey might bite my head off. Oh, dear. So I had a dream <laughs> that it was me, Jess, not not Milo Ventimiglia, Jess, and Alice from Twilight. <laughs> what? So it was me, Jess, Alice from Twilight, and we were, like, in a classroom of some kind. Don't ask me why. And I don't remember a lot of the details, but I was like, I went from the classroom to my old office at the old hospital that I used to work at. Uh-huh. And so I was helping a patient try and find something. And at one point, Jess comes in the room and he's like, hey, are you coming? And I'm like, yeah, I just got to finish this one thing. And then I reach into my purse and I hand him a condom. And I'm like. Uh-huh. Go wait for me in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It was okay. so gross. Okay, I have two things to share. Um one share? Yeah, if, go ahead. One, if there's um any dream therapist in the audience, please reach out to us because we need help. I need help. Um <laughs> the, yeah, we, I mean, I need help with her. I need you, I need you to contact me so we can help her. Um and two, I don't share. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you don't have a monopoly on dream jets, okay? But yeah, it's just, just unfortunately, one of the most... I do, unfortunately, I do, though. I'm going to have to get it in legal writing. Just saying. Okay. You, you do that, and I'll continue to dream. But okay. honestly, it was one of the most disgusting... Like, I woke up feeling gross. It's kind of... It's very, it's very weird, I have to say. Like, here's a condom. Go wait for me in my bedroom. It's even it's even weirder than you than your mom and your brother d- pouring dirty mop water on you. Oh, 100% weirder than that. <laughs> Cuz like the mop water thing in reality could happen. Oh, and didn't Dean push you down the stairs or something for making yeah, fun of his hair? Because I was making fun of his hair. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so that was really weird. I don't know why Alice from Twilight was there. What's the actress's name, Ashley? But that's the thing. It wasn't the actress. It was literally her, the character in her spiky hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ashley Green, I think her name is. That's con- I'm confused. That's, I don't, need, you, I'm confused. You, you need help. You need help with your dreams. I need <laughs> a lot of help. But anyways, okay. So that was the <laughs> dream, but fine. Um, okay. So uh, back at the dorm, mm-hmm. Paris is a germaphobe. And this yes, is where very, all the COVID memes come from. Yes, very ahead of her time. I made a clip of this, uh, this that scene with Paris from this episode last summer. 
Um, yeah. You know, because uh, she was very ahead of her time in that, I have to say. Absolutely. And, Sorry, I took a drink. <laughs> and being at, like, in, in terms of, like, brave, bold of you, Rory, to assume you're not contagious anymore. Yeah, who the fuck? Like, when do you know that you're contagious or not? And it's honestly, I feel like that's that's what's very stressful about like all like f- like f- future perception of cold and flu in yeah. the post and whatever f- future lies lies in store for us. Um, it's like how do we like how you know like it's weird. Just like how do you differentiate contagion from uh, co- the common cold? I don't know. It's probably much easier than I'm making it out to be. but No, but I have to say, I think if there's one thing that one of the good things about um, the pandemic in general, there's not many, but I have to say one of the good things is maybe changing this attitude towards going out or doing things when you're sick. Yeah, for because sure. Because I was talking with my colleagues and I was like, guys, how many times have we gone to school, you know, or come into work because we had a deadline or an exam or whatever, and we're like battling a cold or a really bad flu, and we're like, oh, I'm okay, like I'm not comatose, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, like, you're sneezing up a storm, you have fever, you're touching things, your tissues are all over the fucking place. Yeah. And so, like, if there's one thing that I think I'm looking forward to in a post-pandemic life, is the denormalizing of coming into work or going to school sick. Because you need rest. I think that's even more so true for kids. You know, I can, I can just think back to, like, even high school when, uh, you know, I don't know about your parents. Probably your parents, I'm going to assume so from what I've heard. But, like, I had to be, like, sick to stay home. Like, there was, it was very hard for I me. I had to be on a stretcher in an ambulance. Exactly. So I feel like with parents, too, they're going to they're gonna have to, like, you know, reassess that dynamic of you know, letting your kids stay home. I mean, I do know that sometimes in high school, especially like things just get too much and you have to stay home regardless of whether you're sick, but. Yeah, but um, listen, I think that's all, we're going way off topic, but I have to say it anyways. I think that's also like a systemic problem mm-hmm. because for example, my mother, the reason she was very strict with us for like quote unquote sick days was because my mother was a single mother and could not afford to miss a day of work. Yeah, exactly. To stay home with us if we were sick. You know what I mean? And when we were in elementary school, my grandparents couldn't watch us really if we were sick because they were still working. My dad was, you know what I mean? So it was, it was very much for her a, I can't afford to be, take a day off. So my child who is not dying clearly (laughs) and, you know, is a child and can just buck up and go. Yeah. You know, they're going to go kind of thing, you know? Um, Yeah. So I think it's 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 really a good opportunity for systemic change around sick days, around parental leave, around, um, you know, absences from work and school in general. I think a lot of conversations have to start happening um, in the hires up, shall we say. And also about mental health days. That's a whole other. Absolutely. That's a whole other ballgame. <laughs> Absolutely. Like we're just talking about physical illness right now, but like mental health days, or not even calling them mental health days because there's still kind of a stigma in the workplace. But even if you just want to call them personal days or float days, you know we have float days at my job. 
Mm-hmm. Like, let people, if people are not well enough to come into work, you don't want them to come into work because chances are they're not fucking working. Yeah. Let them stay home and recuperate. Anyways, whatever. We can go on and on. <laughs> but yeah, just because I saw Paris being a germaphobe, I, yeah, I had to be dying in order to stay home. I know the feeling. I was also one of those kids who really hated element, hated school in general. Like, yeah. not not learning, but, like, hated the environment of school. Because mm-hmm. I would get teased a lot in elementary school for my weight. And then in high school, again, for, you know, breathing. And then um, it was one of those things where, like, in elementary school, at least once a week, I would go downstairs and be like, my tummy hurts. I want to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, what is it now, you fucking doofus? <laughs> and I'm like, come get yeah. me. She's like, I'm not leaving work. I'm not coming to get you. Yeah, I mean, my mom was definitely, and still kind of is in some regard, which is, I think we've talked about this before, about how you have to, like, not tell your mom some things. Um, as an adult. As an adult, at least. I don't, yeah, but. He's um, not telling your parents the whole truth, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so for me, it was easy. If I was going to fudge the fudge the details a little bit on how sick I really was, and I wanted to just, I wanted to just stay home, it was uh, your best bet was to do that on a day when my mom was working, like was working, you know, eight to five, eight to four or whatever, and my dad was home in the morning because he would not blink. Yeah, sure, like I stay home. Like there was no. Sometimes there was, but nine times out of ten, it was okay. Yeah, sure. Like you know, if I wanted to stay home and I asked him, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Like he wouldn't push back. So yeah. that was that worked out for me. Um, you know, in grade eight when I was, uh, you know, pretty much bullied every single day and fake sick, fake sick a lot that year to get away from that. So that worked out well for me. But it's different. When, you know, it's like you said with your mom, it's like a single mother who needs, who can't afford to leave work or can't afford to have their child screw up their work day. So, yeah, you know. So she's like, even if I told her, like, I started getting smarter in my older years. I was like, I threw up. She was like, show me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Bottle it up and show me. You know it's what I mean? true though. Like I can't even say my mom was not like that. She wouldn't say show me, but it was like I would. there was. I'm thinking of like in grade ten, and for us in Quebec, grade ten is like an is like a crucial year in terms of passing certain course certain courses in order to graduate and just just whole other whole other mess. You don't want to hear about our school system. But um, I was I had like a vicious vicious flu in April of grade 10 and I think I've told you this story before off 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 camera um, um so I was like viciously ill and I wasn't like it wasn't even that my mom thought I was faking it she was just like concerned that I'd be missing uh a lot of like math and science classes and that was an issue because you needed to pass the exams to continue on in life apparently so I really tried, like, I remember I, I took, like, Thursday and Friday off of one week, and it was, like, my mom said, okay, well, we have to, you have to go back to school on Monday, like, you have to, kind of was just saying you have to, like, suck it up, like, yeah, if there, was, if there was too many days where you were sick, my mom, too, mm-hmm. her threshold was, like, two is fine, three is too much, you're going back. <laughs> exactly, like, th- like, kind of, she wouldn't, it was, like, say it without saying it, I was, like, you know, just throw a smart in your face, like, get going, like, that kind of attitude. And my that year, I had one of my favorite English teachers who really, like, 
in retrospect, really like understood me when no one else did. So he would <laughs> he would always look to me for a comment or just knew what I was thinking at every single moment. And he came up to me at the end of homeroom and was like, you know, you look green. I think, <laughs> like, feel, are you feeling okay? I'm like, I'm really not. I'm I really, really been like, not. yeah, I look green. Call Deborah and tell her. <laughs> So I'm like, thanks. I get, I I know, but at this point I'm still thinking like I have to get through the day because I can't miss any more school. So I I think my second class was history, and we had had like our I think our original teacher went on maternity leave, and we had this ridiculous old man who was in retrospect creepy. Um, and I remember I remember just I couldn't even get through the first ten minutes. I'm just like, I remember saying like turning to one of my friends and saying I, I'm 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 going home I I'm bye bye like I didn't even, like not even a, co- a coherent sentence like just okay bye like bye oh. and I said to I said to the teacher like I I really I I can't, I really don't feel well I have to go to the office and can do it. I don't even remember the rest of the day, honestly. I think I might have been taking the bus home because so I was gonna walk home, and the but like the city bus that goes by that went by my school that went by our house, and like the bus is there. I remember like running, and then I was like no more energy for the day. I ran through the bus, and then I couldn't I couldn't for the rest of the day. So yeah, you know. So I having <laughs> oral surgery. Oh my. In grade eleven. Mhm. And having to, I had to miss a week of school. Because yeah. I literally cut my mouth open, right? Yes. And um, I remember that morning, in order to call, like, in order to tell the school that I wasn't going to be there for the day, because my, my surgery was scheduled for a Monday. Yeah. I remember this clear as day. My mother calls the school mm-hmm. and goes, uh, hi, my daughter's going to be, abs-. like, we left a voicemail on, like, the absence line. My mom, yeah, my daughter's going to be absent Monday and Tuesday for a surgery. She'll be back on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, getting to the surge, getting to Tuesday night, and my mom going, oh, boy, we're not going to be going anywhere tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, you think? Yeah, I missed a week of school, and by the next Monday, I I was still yellow, like, from the bruising. Mm -hmm. And my mom was just like, let's go to school. Literally, like... (laughs) I think you. I think our moms are more similar than we realize. I'm in a room with like a jug of wine and just film <laughs> shit. Because oh I, I also had. I I don't know if I told you this ever, but I had my wisdom teeth out in grade ten too. I was very young to have my wisdom teeth out. I had them out when I was sixteen. Yeah. And um, I remember my childhood dentist telling my mom like, "Oh no, not to worry. He's sixteen is too young." And, but she kept saying, like, just so you know, like, I had mine out when I was 16, and I think they're already coming in, whatever. So that was, like, one appointment to the next appointment, and, like, they were in, and they were compounded, and they were causing ringing in my ears. So they had to come yeah. out. And I remember my mom purposely, she purposely, ske- well, she scheduled it, I'm assuming, but she purposely scheduled it on a ped day, like a day off that of we had on- on a Friday, I don't, know if, I don't know what ped days are in the rest of the world, but that's like a de- like a de- like a designated day off for schools every every so often. And so it was a Friday, and we purposely did it on a Friday so I wouldn't miss the day. And come Monday morning, it was like clear over the weekend. It was like we're going back to school on Monday. Like regardless of how I feel, back to school on Monday. Yep, you're going. <laughs> Fuck you. And the only, honestly, the only the only good thing came out that came out of it was I could get out of gym class, which I pretty much already did I did every other day so I was Jeffrey I was still yellow I was still like balloon face 
I still had like if you lifted my upper lip because the the surgery like they cut into my upper gums. Mm-hmm. But like we're talking cutting with a scalpel and a drill, you know what I mean? Like Jesus Christ. It was still all purple and blue. <laughs> I was still spitting out blood. <laughs> your mom's I like I had to take antibiotics every 6 hours. <laughs> And your mom's like, get your books, we're going to school. Like, bye, have fun at school today. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was like, but again, like, she couldn't miss more than a week. She basically yeah. took vacation days to stay home with me, right? But, um, I mean, it was still, like, growing up, you don't think of these things. You're just like, God damn it, my mother's so strict. But really, in reality, it's like, I'm sure she would have loved to have me stay home if she could, you know, but whatever. But part of me also thinks she was very much like, no, fuck these kids, they're going to school. Yeah, and I think for exactly that, get out of my house. Um, yeah, get out of my house, you spoiled brat. My mom was definitely like that. Like, she kind of planned her day around, regardless of whether or not she was working. Like, her day, in like, a weekday was planned around me being at school. So if I wasn't, it was like, a de- I deterred her plans. 100. Um, I'm also thinking of, like, by the time I was in, you know, high school, like, later years like grade 10 grade 11 like I was old enough to be home by myself if I was sick so it wasn't much of an issue but now I'm thinking back like now in elementary school it it was definitely like a thing if I was sick like someone had to be home with me so it would have been someone had to like most of the time I'm gonna remember it's hard to think I think my mom would have been home with me I think there was a couple of times that she had to either call in sick at work, but that was only a handful, like one once or twice. But mm-hmm. you know, it's weird to think about those things as an adult. You don't think of it that way. <laughs> yeah, I know the wisdom. Anyway, of- how, how did we get on this topic? I'm lost. Where where were we? <laughs> Whatever. We went from talking about Emily to my disgusting just dream to this. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Are you? Are, if, if you guys are still here, God bless you. Hey there. <laughs> So I want to talk about um, the not-so-argument argument between Emily and Richard when Lorelai shows up for Friday night dinner. Yes. And Friday night dinner is ruined because the chef burnt the entree. Yeah, and I'm thinking, like, it wasn't even that bad. But for Emily, it was appalling. Throw it out. Yeah, for Emily, it's like one little scorch mark, and you're like, fuck you, you're fired, you know? But anyway. <laughs> um, so that whole thing of... That whole thing was painful mm-hmm. because Lorelai is kind of joking around, as she does, obviously, that we we can expect from her. Um, mm-hmm. Richard's kind of teasing Emily, but Emily's not having it. No. Um, because she's like, she's just scrambling to get dinner, like a perfect dinner, get them mm-hmm. into the restaurant, I mean. And, like, Richard's talking about how he went to dinner and he saw Moby. And Emily's like, what the fuck? Who's Moby? But seriously, then, though, who, do I know who Moby is? I'm, I'm, Who is that? Why are you asking me if you know who Moby is? Well, maybe you tell me. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll, I'll Google him after. Continue. He's, he's bald. Like Pitbull? No, that's Pitbull. <laughs> Is Moby anyway. Pitbull? No, he's Pitbull, goddammit. <laughs> okay, continue. Anyway, oh my god. Do I know Moby? I don't know, fuck. Anyways, <laughs> apparently he has some very controversial views. Okay. As well. So, Story for another day, continue. Yeah, anyways. Um. Okay, so, and it's just, um, Emily is like, upset with Richard, 
but also trying to get dinner and also like picking an argument for every little thing like the Beatles who's dead bingo's dead by the way apparently <laughs> um you know so it's like just a, it's it's a pain it's painful to watch because it's something so small Mm-hmm. that like in season two wouldn't have be- even been a blip on our radar right but now in season four because they've been like dropping tiny little bombs we're like oh emily's gonna punch you right in the throat richard yeah exactly emily i picture emily like in today in, in like tiktok era emily pouring wax on richard's mustache while he's sleeping and just ripping <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean I- that i could see that yeah like this fucking mustache you know what i mean so yeah yeah but honestly even like even aside from emily throwing a fit in the store for whatever reason that was i think just like for me i i emily speaks to me in this episode of just like getting so irritated and like swallowing down so many little instances that like piss her off that she just starts erupting in small little ways of everything pisses her off i'm like that's me every other day i'm sorry (laughs) and can we can we also say that like it's also very much a sign of like depression (laughs) yes like depression and anxiety for sure like that's what (laughs) that for me is like whenever i'm like anxious about something is when my parents primarily will, will receive my wrath of why is this here why is the why is the fridge smell why is there garbage in the sink why are you breathing? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the reason, the way I know that I have to make a doctor's appointment, like with my healthcare professional, is when <laughs> literally the stupidest things bother me. And not really? just like bother me like I'm irritated, bother me to the point where like I can picture whipping my colleague out the window. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I guess that's why I'm in regular therapy then, because that's me all the time. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> um (laughs) know the warning signs okay um so yeah it's just not going well and they leave to go to dinner i actually would have loved to see them interact at dinner yeah especially with the with with this bingo conversation oh my god that bingo thing was fucking hilarious (laughs) but anyways um then we fast forward to rory showing up at the inn to meet lorelei and dino is there yeah, we're going to get into that because I have some thoughts. Yeah, we're going to get into that. So Dean is working, obviously, construction at the Dragonfly, like he told Rory he would be last episode. But this time we see Lindsay. And mm, Lindsay yeah. shows up with her mom with a basket of food because her mom is trying to teach her how to cook. And, like, I'm just over you. It's the first time yeah. I've seen you this season, but I'm over you already. Yeah, and I want out of your Do- your Donna Reed nightmare. Yeah, so two things. Number one, I'm... So number one, I think the writers are definitely trying to make her irritating to the viewer. Definitely. um, In order to somehow not justify, but maybe make us better understand the future choices that Dean makes. Yeah, Um, no, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. They, I hate the subtle little ways the writers start inserting Dean back into Rory's life in this, yeah. in these little manipulative, manipulative, can't speak, ways that um, make us, I'm not going to say empathize, that's a strong word, but at the very least, they make us sympathize with Dean's choices and by extension, Rory's choices, which are a little different. But yeah, Dean so- himself, they want us to sympathize and feel bad for him, and I don't. I'm supposed to feel sorry for that bitch. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know if they're making. I don't know. Uh, 
sorry, I said it like eight times. I don't know if they're trying to make us sympathize with Dean himself or just trying to make us sympathize with the situation that both Dean and Lindsay find themselves in. And that is trying to make the best out of a marriage that you clearly both know right now, not six months into it, (laughs) that you rushed into. And that your options, like, are slowly dwindling. You know what I mean? So I think they're trying to make... I don't know at this stage in this episode if we're supposed to feel, like you said, sympathy for just Dean or for, like, maybe just a a little bit of understanding of where the couple themselves is coming from. Because the way I see it, like, Lindsay walking in and her mom being like, oh, I'm going to teach her how to cook and we're trying every day and we're here to make hubby happy. You know what I mean? Like, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like her mother kind of pushing her to be a good wife to like stick around I don't know I'm just I'm I'm also very over it it's also gross though that the yes. like it, the second that they're running out of options to stay happy in their marriage is what we, we revert to 50s gender roles that's kind yes. of a that's kind of problematic in a different way that, we, that we'll we'll put a pin in that for later yeah, and also, like, the fact that, you know, so Dean's working on the construction site. He's obviously, you know, working, like, he. we know from a couple of episodes ago that he's going to school part-time. But, you know, he's he's obviously the breadwinner, right? Um, mm. And then in the later scene where Luke sees him in the arcade, and he's like, I'm here, well, not every night, but he's like, I'm here most nights because her parents, um, what did he say, like, her mom and Lindsay kicked me out? No, like they want him out of the way so they can clean up and also his dad's there her her dad's there sometimes to fix things and just like yeah. we but that's the thing though they want us to sympathize at the very least with Dean's situation maybe not with Dean himself just yet but at least at this in this case in this episode with Dean's situation and I don't I'm sorry because a you made like choices choices you made your choices um but at the same time like, I'm sorry, did you get married and think that the man will go to work and Lindsay would stay home and keep house? Like, no, you should have had a more realistic sense of what your marriage was going to look like before you did it. Like, if you really wanted to get married that age, that young, you should have had a more concrete plan of if Dean's not going to school, Dean's getting a job, and maybe Lindsay will have to get a job too. As Roy later says, like, why can't she get a job? It's like, it to me, it's, it's just it backfires on both of them, and we were made to feel like we're... I, like we feel bad because oh it didn't have to be this way but no no it's their they made their bed they it's no, their choice like I I 100% agree with you that yes choices they made them they're the ones that decided I get that I think that the the conversation he has with Luke actually has the opposite effect on me because I see it as he's telling Luke like I come here because her mom is always there and they're cleaning and they're teaching her how to cook. And her dad's always at the house or at the apartment, like fixing things. And so in that moment, I'm looking at it more of like, look at Dean trying to justify how great his life is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like meaning he, he's trying to, he's trying to like verbalize that he really has nothing to complain about. But we don't believe him. It's not. No, of course. That's that's another thing. I don't believe him. But it's almost as if he's like trying to rationalize in his head. Like, no, I made the right choice because I have great in-laws. My wife dotes on me. 
you know, I, okay, I have to come to the arcade. You know what I mean? It's almost as if he's trying to make himself feel better about the choices that he made. While staring longingly at Rory. That's another fucking thing. I'm getting really fucking tired of this shit. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know if it's I'm staring longingly at Rory because I still have feelings for Rory, or it's I'm staring longingly at a girl that I dated when times were simpler and I didn't have all these fucking responsibilities. You know oh, what that's, I mean? that's not what I think at all. No, I'm just saying, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think he 100%, let's be honest, he's one, ever since his bachelor party, we know he's 100% still hung up on her. Oh, yeah, but I don't think that in that moment when he's talking to Luke and getting distracted by seeing Rory outside the window, I don't think he's thinking, I mean, he, obviously we know he does still have feelings for her, that's a given, but I think in that moment what he's thinking is what kind of comes out later is that he regrets the way he, he he regrets the choices that he made after high school by getting married so young yeah. and he wants he wants what Rory has and he wants not just to be with her he wants that influence that sh- that she had on his life when they were together he wants that influence back so he not he not only wants he not only still loves Rory he wants Rory's he, he wants Rory's like personal touch on his life, and that to me is just gross. Because yeah, I, I think he's looking at her as if like things were so much better when I was dating Rory, and Rory was in my life. Mm-hmm. I I want, and now I have this whole completely different life, and I want that. Like I don't want this. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost like it's. But to me, it's like. For sure, I agree. With, I agree with what you said, but to me, it's like he, like he wants to, like it's it's gonna it's gonna sound much more excre- much more extreme than I mean it to sound, but it's almost like he wants to suck the life out of her. It's like man sucking life out of woman for his own personal Jesus gain. Christ. What is he a dementor? Kind of. In this case, yes, Dean is a dementor, but like I just mean, um, I'm the the only way I can I can explain it is I'm thinking back to what. Mike DeSanzo wrote in his Twitter thread about what each character will be doing during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what he wrote for Dean was he would be trying to reconnect with Rory and she'd be saying, I remember you telling me about pandemics and stuff. You're so smart. That's exactly how I feel right now is that Dean is just in a stagnant place in his life because he made shitty choices after high school and is stuck in this small little town that we're not usually we're not usually meant to believe is like other small towns where you just get stuck if you don't leave. Like Stars Hall is not really painted that way. But when you think of it in terms of Dean, it kind of comes across that way because especially when you see him in that scene where he's standing in the arcade, all to me it screams is Dean's a loser who got stuck in a shitty position after high school for the choices he made. And now he's looking back, well, back at the future that he had with, back at the future, back at the past that he had with Rory and looking towards the future he wants. And he's thinking, I want what Rory has. I miss when Rory used to, like, when Rory used to, I don't know, just have ambition and he wants to suck the ambition out of her and put it into him. Like, that's just what I get. (laughs) Okay. That sounded a lot grosser than... I think you meant it to. You know what I mean? No, he's like, he want like, I feel like men. You know, I, I, listen, I completely understand what you're saying. I, <laughs> I agree to a certain extent that like he longs for, he wants his future to be what his past was. Yeah. Is that um, realizing it the way you wanted to? 
Yeah, but I, th- I just, I for sure, I agree with that statement. I also just think it goes deeper than that in terms of men in fiction, but men in real life, for sure, too, straight men, <laughs> um, straight white men. They, I don't know, just have a, a tendency without even realizing it to, I don't know, insert themselves. If, like, tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm hitting it. Um, it's almost as if, like, when a woman does, great when a woman thrives on her own like so Rory for example used to be with Dean but Rory is now you know doing really well in college has ambition you know seems to be happy so it's also it's almost as if like when a woman starts doing well mm-hmm. a man either wants what she has or you know wants to be I don't, I don't know how to verbalize it, wants, wants what she has in his own way, but it's almost as if, like, wants to kind of take her down with him. Exactly, yes, and that's, that's a much more, that's a much better way of, yeah, that's a much better way of saying it than my Dementor, uh, (laughs) we used, like, I, I see it like this, we, Dean thinking, we used to be happy together, and now I'm in a miserable place, and she's doing great things, Mm -hmm. I want, if I can't have what she has, then I have to bring her down to my level. Yeah, exactly, and I, I don't think necessarily that he would have, he like the Dean, the character himself, would have described it that way at this point. But I do think subconsciously, yeah, but Dean that, can't spell, so yeah, but, but exactly that's what I'm thinking. Like subconsciously, deep deep within him, that is exactly what Dean's feeling is that like he admires the ambition that Roy has yes. always had, despite the fact of oh, sorry, I'm not going to Harvard. I don't care about Harvard. Like all of those ridiculous things that he said when they were actually together mm-hmm. in high school. Like all that aside, now he's looking back and thinking. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I really did admire that ambition she always had, and that, and it had a good effect on me, and I miss that effect. But at the same time, I think he knows he's too far gone, yeah, for that for that ambition. So, he, but he, so he wants, he wants the best of both worlds, and that he wants, he wants that that loving touch that Rory had on his life. He wants that back, but he also, like you said, wants to bring him down, bring her down to his level. Yeah, it's because it's almost as if he can't stand the fact that she moved on from him and is doing well, whereas he moved on from her but is not doing well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, look at that. When we have two heads together, it works. I mean, I still think Dean is a bit of a Dementor sucking the souls out of people. I mean, it's not a terrible analogy. (laughs) I've heard worse. Uh, So do we actually want to talk about the breakdown in general in the mall? I mean, I think we've kind of already dissected Emily enough this week, don't you think? I think so. Um, Should we talk about Sorry, I will have to say, though, I do have to say something about Emily. Mm -hmm. Um, That whole scene in the mall where she's, like, you know, bossing people around, saying, wrap it up, do this, do that, pull the suits, here are the shoes, like this and that. You know, I think that... Richard made a comment about her shopping mm-hmm. in that earlier conversation. And so, one number one, I think Emily 100% goes to the mall to shop just to spite him. Yeah. Like, you think I'm going to shop? I'm going to shop harder. Yeah. Like, I'm going to shop on fucking steroids. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, just to kind of stick it to him. But I think 
also it kind of runs deeper where she's like, well, I don't really have anything else. Like, I don't do anything else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, My life used to be making sure that your life was perfect. Yeah. And you are now showing me through this new, you know, this newfound freedom that he has or that we think he has. You're showing me now that you can make your life perfect on your own. So you're kind of telling me I'm obsolete. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, what am I going to do now? Oh, I know. I'm going to go somewhere where they're fucking terrified of me. And they will literally do whatever I say just to kind of regain a little bit of that power that she lost because you took it away from her. Yeah, for sure. So I think, like, on a very surface level analysis, 100% she goes to the mall because he said, oh, I know you're always shopping. She's like, yeah, I'll show you shopping, you know? Exactly. Exactly. But then on the other hand, she's just like, I really just don't know what to do with myself anymore. Like, yeah, so there's like both extremes of it. Like she feels like, oh, you want you want, you want me to shop? I'll show you shopping. But yeah. on the other extreme, is like, what else am I supposed to do with my life? Like my life is empty. My life is empty without this. Exactly. On the other extreme, she's like, I just lost the only thing I've been doing for the past 39 years, mm-hmm. and you've shown me that you don't need me anymore. Yeah. So, you know what? You made a comment about me shopping. Maybe that is all I'm good for. You know what I mean? So when I said earlier, like, this depression setting in for her, I think it's way more evident when she's shopping. Because I'm thinking of all the things that she's probably thinking of where it must really suck for 39 years to be doing everything for your husband and him being so grateful to you. And then him deciding one day that he's cool, he's hip, he's mustache man. Yeah. Yeah. He's he doesn't need you to do what you do best anymore. Yeah, exactly. Huh? It's true. It's like it's sad. And that's why the last scene with Richard and Emily. Oh, my God. That like, last scene broke my heart. And it, uh, like every single time I watch it, no matter how many times I've seen it, it's just like the silent tick of the clock in the background is just the, the, the cherry on top. Oh, 100 percent. That entire scene was so well done. From, like, the setting where everything's quiet, you could hear a pin drop except for that clock. Um, The way the apples are placed, the way they're eating in complete silence, the maid is not even there. You know what I mean? Like, everything was done to perfection in that scene. Yes. Hands, hands, what's, what's, (laughs) hands down to the, what is it, what's the expression? What I'm thinking of? (laughs) Hats, hats off, hands down. What? Okay. I'm I'm (laughs) I'm losing my nerve now. Hats off to writers and producers. Hats off, hands down, feet up. Like, what the fuck? I don't even know. I think I'm tired now. Um, The last thing I want to talk about in this episode is Lane. Yes. So Lane, um, last episode was supposed to be staying with Lorelai. This episode, we find out that Lane um, got an apartment with Brian and Zach in town. Mm Mm-hmm. And Lane has to go back to Mrs. Kim's house to pack up her stuff. Yeah. And we meet Christine, <laughs> who is Lane's cousin. Yeah. Um, and if you thought things were bad between Lane and Mrs. Kim, let me tell you something. Christine's about to have a shit ton of a fallout with her grandma, her mother. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I what I wrote down in my notebook for for that was... 
Like, it's just so sad that Mrs. Kim and Lane's aunt are so harsh with their children, like, in that way. Because it's like, you see how small Christine forced herself to be around them? It's like, oh my she, God, she... turned into the hunchback of Notre Dame. But it's just like, it's, it, it's, it's just so sad, though. Like, she's just forcing herself to be so small and invisible. Like, as down, not making eye contact. It was just... Like, that's, not, was, that's not okay. <laughs> No, it's, no, 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 no. And, like, the whole thing was, like, I know it was meant to be funny, but when the aunt is, like, step away from Lane, Christine. As if Lane has, like, fucking leprosy and is going to give it to you. Like, what? Yeah. Ugh, the whole thing was really upsetting. (laughs) Like, you're going to catch her counter-cultural ambitions. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to catch her uh, defiance of her parents. Yeah. When, I mean, hey, if, if you can spread that around, do it. Yeah, but also, like, by the way, if you think your child is already not defiant of you and whatever, what's her name? I don't even remember. Uh, she was that insig- insignificant. Yeah, like, your child, we've said this before. I said this in the first season, I think. Like, you came to America, your children grew up here. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You're never going to discover music? <laughs> Ugh, the whole thing was just super upsetting. Um, and it's like, we, we know, I've said it before, like we know later on Mrs. Kim does start making a bit of an effort. Uh-huh. At this time, at this point, it's just like, fuck ah, both of you. Like, not not Lane so much, but it's just like, no, no, no. No. This <laughs> is the, um, the prime example of remove yourself from any toxic situation. Yeah, and it's like, you know Lane would want to stay if she could, but it's like, Mrs. Kim, children do not make the rules. Okay, well, see ya. Bye-bye. Bye! <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Um, Lane is obviously freaking out by the fact that there are no curtains, no towels, they don't have cutlery. They have three stereos and no forks. Yeah, which is like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can relate, but like, do you think that young people when they first move out think of those things because I personally would so okay having moved out twice (laughs) um the second time I already had all my stuff though but I remember the first time I moved out no matter how like prepared you think you are Mm -hmm. there's always something like when you get to the new apartment and start unpacking your shit there's always something that seems so obvious that you're like how the fuck did I miss this yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say forks is one of those things, but um, I think that it was a pretty normal thing to have happen. Okay. And I think, <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of it is also like, it's the first time you're living on your own. And she's also realizing now that she has no support system, right? It's not like, yeah. it's not like a normal kid moving out that could always rely on their parents if they need something. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I'm truly on my own here. Yeah, exactly. With these two doofuses who are arguing over half a shelf. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, I, every single time Zach appears, I'm like, fuck him and his toxic masculinity again. Okay. Well, every we'll si- get to that when we get to that, sir. I mean, every single time he he appears, I mention it. So. I know. I know. I know. Just chill a little bit. <laughs> You're like, I know, baby. Shut up. <laughs> I know, baby. Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> anyways. So, yeah. I think it's it's. Um, it's harder for Lane in this case because it's not a regular 
it's not like, oh, hey, I grew up. I'm moving out of my house because it's time. It's I was forced out of my house. I've been scrambling, jumping from dorm room to couch, you know, like. Maybe it's a little rushed. Maybe I think that's what she's thinking, too. Maybe it's a little rushed. Mm-hmm. Still don't have towels. <laughs> but you yeah, know. so I, I think I think her level of anxiety is warranted in this scenario. Yeah, it was rushed, but it was necessary. Like she yeah, didn't have exactly. Any other it's really she didn't really have another choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I I can I can relate, but I also empathize. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Do you have anything yeah. else you want to talk about? Um, uh, I don't think so. I think that's it. Okay, where can they find us? Um, they can follow us on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And should, should you feel the need to email to email us, you can do so uh, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. Do we have a bracket update? Stop it. <laughs> no. Okay, fine. Uh, screw the bracket that she worked so hard on. We're never doing it again. Bye-bye. No, we're going to do it. I'm just so tired and busy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Aww. Okay. I know, baby. It's okay. <laughs> I know, baby. I know. <laughs> Ugh, anyways, so we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you.